So there's this guy, 2008, got to go back eight years or so ago. His name is Donald Smith. He lives in Georgia, and he ends up getting arrested one day out of the blue, uh, and he gets arrested for carjacking a lady who is a preschool teacher and then murdering her in Georgia. Pretty big. I mean, that's like potential death penalty type stuff. And when the, when the cops arrest him, he says, I, I didn't do it, which is what, what every criminal says. You know, like, I'm innocent. And, and they, sure, whatever. They arrest him. They take him to jail. Uh, he ends up going to court in front of the judge and the jury as they're going to try his case. And throughout the entire case, he is, he's swearing that he's innocent, that he has no idea uh, who the lady was. He wasn't there. And so during the court proceedings, they bring out a couple of eyewitnesses who were there when the carjacking happened, who saw everything very close. And, and he's sitting there, and, and the, the lawyer says, hey, can you identify the person who carjacked the car and murdered the lady? And they point right at Donald Smith, and they go, it was that guy right there. Every one of the eyewitnesses said, I was there, I saw him, it was that guy. And he said, I, I promise I, I'm innocent. So they have security footage from some buildings around where it happened and some other places along the way. They pull the security footage and they show it in front of the judge and the jury. And Donald Smith is in the car with the woman. He's, he's seen at the scene of the crime. I mean, it, they're looking at him and looking at the video, Tim. He's going, it wasn't me, I'm innocent. They go to the DNA. His DNA is all over the crime scene, all over the place. And he's still going, it wasn't me, I won't be, I'm not pleading guilty, I'm pleading innocent. And they let him off. They said, you're not going to go to prison, we're going to let you go. Because they discovered that it wasn't Donald Smith. It was his twin brother, Ronald Smith. And it was fingerprints at the scene of the crime that matched Ronald Smith. Now, here's the deal. Eyewitnesses said, that's him. Well, it looks like him. Security footage says, it's him. It looks like him. Twins share DNA that is so closely related that we can't even tell the difference between it. So the DNA matched. It was just the fingerprints that didn't match. And Donald Smith, who maintained his innocence, and, and all along kept saying, it wasn't me, it was Ronald. Which, by the way, who names their kids Donald and Ronald? That's like, that seems like it's a McDonald's problem waiting to happen, right? But, but he's like, it's not me, it, it's Ronald, and, and it was true. So here, here's, the, here's the thing, though, that I, that I wonder when you hear that story. I, I wonder, you know, this guy almost lost his freedom because he looked so much like somebody else. And as we kind of walk through this series, what's the difference? It's just going to be a three-week series. It's not going to be a long one at all. Kind of what we're going to look at is, is it possible that you and I could lose our freedom? And I'm not talking about going to jail. I'm talking about spiritual freedom. I'm talking about spiritual blessings. I'm talking about intimacy in our relationship with God. Is it possible that we could have ramifications, be in trouble, if you will, because we look so much like our brother, the world? I mean, I'm talking to if you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, you know, the, the thing that separates you from somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, and, and you may be, you, that may be you in the room tonight, you might go, well, I'm not, I haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. That there should be a difference between a teenager or an adult who said, I'm going to follow Jesus, than from the teenager who says, That's, that hasn't been a decision I'm going to make. There ought to be, we ought to be different. In fact, if you have your Bible, go over to 1 Peter. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. But 1 Peter, it's towards the back of your Bible. You can see like how far into my Bible. I mean, it's almost a revelation. Revelation is that back book, kind of come back forward. And you'll see 1 Peter and you'll see 2 Peter. It'll be right before 1, 2, 3 John. 1 Peter chapter uh, 4. I'm sorry, 1 Peter, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. I want us to read in verse 14. This is what Peter, who walked with Jesus, he was one of the disciples, said in verse 14. As obedient children, again, now he's talking to believers, as obedient children, 
do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He says, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're an obedient child, you, you, just, you should not look like you used to. Back before you knew Jesus, back when you were ignorant, you didn't know about the gospel and you didn't know about salvation, you didn't know what Jesus had done for you and you lived a certain way. He says, don't be conformed, don't, don't, don't look like that. Look at verse 15. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, Old Testament, you shall be holy for I am holy. So Peter says to people who are following Jesus who made that commitment, he says, listen, you ought to be holy like God is holy. Now, that's a big, you know, it's a four-letter Bible word, but it's a big one. It's heavy. The word holy gives us this, this picture of something being set apart. There is this idea of moral purity and things like that. It's a part of it being set apart. But like, if you went to the temple and there was a utensil in the temple or something that was holy, it was something that was set apart just for worship or it was set apart just for God. It was set apart just for spiritual things. And so Scripture says, and God says, Old Testament, and Peter confirms in the New Testament. So throughout the Bible, we get this common message that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be holy. You should be set apart. You should look different from everybody else. Now, we've gone to an extreme of that. Like, we have our own, like, you know, Christian stores and our own Christian music with our own Christian t-shirts. You know, that it's, it's the Mountain Dew t-shirt, but it doesn't say Mountain Dew. It has some like Christian slogan on it that's supposed to look like Mountain Dew, you know, so we can kind of look like the world, but not look like the world. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, he says, in your conduct, in the way we live our life, we, we ought to look different if we've come to a point in our life. When I did when I was seven, seven years old, and said, now I want to follow Jesus. And when I was 14, and God really got a hold of me, and said, God, I'm going to start going after you and chasing after you. That decision should when I stand next to a friend, by the way we behave, I should look different. And that's not, that's not on my friend who hasn't chosen to follow Jesus. They're just doing their thing. I'm the one that's made a decision to, do, to be different. I'm the one that's made a decision to follow Jesus, so therefore, I ought to look different. When I think of this word holy, I think something that's set apart, I was trying to think of, man, what is something that we see every day that's like that? And, and it's not about like a wedding dress. Like, you don't have those. Your, your, your mom might have one, your mom probably did like what, what Amanda, my wife, did. We went and bought a wedding dress for that day. It was this special day, this holy day. And she wore it. And then the doors opened. And she walked down the island. And everybody oohed and awed. And I started like sweating, you know. And, and, we, and we got married. And then that wedding dress went into this box that like was hermetically sealed so it wouldn't turn yellow. And it's put in a closet or an attic. I don't even know where it is. But it's put away not to be worn again. Unless maybe, maybe like one of my daughters down the road says, Mom, I want to I be married in your wedding dress because of the family tradition. But, you know, you don't, you don't like have a wedding dress and then like you wear it for your wedding and then like five Fridays later, your husband's like, hey, you want to go to the movies? And you go, yeah, I got, I got the perfect thing to wear, right? I'm a, it's got a long train, veil or no veil to the movies. What should I do? It's this, it's this special dress, which is what makes the story of Kylie Manulak so Incredible. There's a picture of her here. These are her bridesmaids. Now, here's the story on Kylie Manulak. She's engaged to a guy for four years. That's a long engagement. Engaged him for four years, weddings planned. That's her wedding dress. That's her bridesmaids. Guys, listen to me. Don't ever do this. If you do this, we're going to collectively find you and beat you up. One week before the wedding, her fiance texts her to break it off. Yeah, not even a, like, you're, 
I don't want to be rude, but you're pretty much low-level human being. You know, one week out when you just text your fiance four years ago, eh, never mind. So she obviously is crushed. She's got her wedding dress. She's, her, her family and friends have gathered around her. One of her friends happens to send this link to her for a 5K color run. She clicks on the link and what she, in all the pictures of the color run, everybody's in white shirts and white clothes because that's you know, what you wear to color run. So it gets blue, green, red, all the colors on it. And she had this thought. She said, I'm going to wear my wedding dress to the color run. This is a picture taken right before it. Her bridesmaids showed up in their bridesmaids' dress to support her. And so they did the color run. It got all colored. She got actually cleaned and then donated her dress. But here's what she said that was interesting. In her quote, she said, I had to disconnect myself from the dress because it no longer stood for what it meant. See, it had been holy. It had been set apart for a special moment, for a significant event. And she said that even that dress, it had this holy connection to me. That in order for me to go, I had to disconnect and not see it as that anymore. I had to see it as a dress that was about support for my friends and friendship and things like that. That's a great picture. It's something that's special, set apart. And God says that, if you're a follower of Jesus, is you. Set apart. You look different. You should be the wedding dress. You should be this, this thing that looks different, a light in a dark world. So what I want you to do is, we're going to flip over in a second to a passage in the gospel, but what we have to ask is this, do we really look different? Just rhetorical. You don't have to answer. Do you talk like all of your other friends, do you use the same language that they use? Do you study or cheat, however you want to call it, the same way that they do? Are you, do your study practices, do your friends look at you and go, listen, don't even ask, don't even ask to cheat. He's one of those followers of Jesus. He's different. He's not going to let you cheat off his paper. Do people look at you and go, you know, she talks different. The people look at you and they know you treat people different than everybody else does. When everybody's ganging up and picking on them, you're never a part of that. In fact, you kind of you, you always usually tell people to, to knock it off. That you, you act differently than the way you treat people. The way you respond to conflict, when there's problems, when there's fights inside your friend group. Do you do what everybody else does and side with one person and then do exactly what Jesus would have done and start subtweeting everybody? You know, because I'm sure Jesus wouldn't. No, of course not. That, we... we we, we talk different, we act different, we study different, we respond to our parents different because we're holy and we're set apart. Now, here's the thing. Most of us make decisions with one underlying factor. The way we make decisions is, what's best for me? That's what we usually do. I mean, I do too. I mean, we've been trained that way. That's not like, we're not like, oh, shame on you. We're, 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 we're wired that way. We were born that way. We've been trained that way. I mean, when your friends or your parents go, hey, where do you want to go eat lunch? Even in the simple decisions. Is your response, you know, mother, I'd really like to go wherever would bless you. No, you're like, I want to go here. And then they, and your parents go, we're not going there. And you throw, oh, we want to go there. You know, and it's because it's, I want to go here. And it's, it's about me. You know, all, all of those different things. You know, when it comes to your free time, you got a Friday night free, a Saturday morning free. You got a Thursday night free. You got something. What do you do with your free time? You do things that you want to do that make you happy. You have some extra money. What do you do with the extra money? You do things that make you happy. I know that because there's like $3 in the offering plate for people who don't have clean water tonight. Like, you know, 
So some of you went, I don't want to spend money on some. I've got this or I want to do that. That's just the way we're wired. I'm wired that way too. We all, we all do that. But what will happen is that will, if you continue to think that way, as you become an adult, it'll be what kind of car do I want to buy? What kind of house do I want to buy? What neighborhood do I want to And all those questions do what everybody else does. What works best for me? So here's what I want to, here's what I want to challenge you with. We're talking about what's the difference. Is it possible that the, one of the main differences when you boil it all down between somebody who's following Jesus and somebody who's not is how a follower of Jesus makes decisions? That's what we're talking about tonight. Not for a long time. We're almost done, halfway through already. Is it possible that somebody who follows Jesus should make decisions differently when everybody else is thinking through their decision and asking, what's best for me? Where do I want to eat? What kind of car do I want to drive? What college do I want to go to? What, do I, who do I want to date? What if, what if you and I, as followers of Jesus, stopped asking questions and making decisions based on that, and we started running through the filter of this, which decision brings the most glory to God? If I'm set apart... If I'm different, then I should make decisions different. Instead of what benefits me, what would benefit the kingdom of God most? What would benefit the glory of God most? Does this decision I make, does it elevate me and make me look good, or does it make Jesus look like the king of the universe and me as a follower of him? So I want you to flip in your Bible over to Luke chapter 22, because we're going we're gonna to see this very intimate moment in Jesus' life. Man, if you and I were there, it would have been... It would have been a holy moment. So where we're at in this passage of Scripture, let me give you kind of a little bit of context. It's near the end of Jesus' life. We're, 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 just, we're just hours away from the crucifixion. He's going to die. He has taken this Passover meal, which was this Jewish festival and holiday, remembering it's how the Jews, the Jews remembered that God had saved them out of Egypt when they'd been slaves hundreds of years before that. And, and they practice it every year. Jesus and the disciples have gathered. They've done that. Jesus knows what the next few hours hold. And now look in verse 39. He said, I'm going to read it all and we'll come back and look through some pieces of it. It says, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I want you to see a couple things in this passage. We're going to get into it. There's, There's some things that that Luke tells us, and I'm not even sure Luke meant to tell us, but they're important. You, you look back at the very first verse, verse 39. It says, he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus has left this Passover meal, this kind of dinner experience. And now he and his disciples are going to go pray. Now, I want you to kind of put yourselves in their shoes for a second. This is just kind of a side note, but I don't think we can afford to miss it. We read this and we're like, okay, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and he prayed as was his custom, as was his habit. Jesus was in the habit of praying, but it wasn't just this like, hey, God, thank you for this food and the hands that blessed it. God, keep me safe. Let me have a good day type prayer. He went from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, which if you look at a map, depending on where he was at in Jerusalem, was somewhere between a three to five mile walk. 
We missed that in the passage. Because we just read, he went to the Mount of Olives. So at the end of the day, it's been a long day. They get up, bare minimum, it's a three-mile walk. That's if you walked from here down to Wolf Ranch and then walked back and then turned around and walked back to Wolf Ranch again. That's three miles, bare minimum. Might have been five. And so they walked to get away because for Jesus, his custom was, I've got to get away from the noise. I've got to get away from all the things that people are needing of me and wanting for me, and I've got to have some time to pray. So you know that Jesus didn't walk three miles just to have like a five-minute prayer time, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. He's there for the night. And it's at the end of this long day. For Jesus, man, this was, a, this was an important thing to say, hey, I need to pray. Now listen, does that mean that tomorrow you need to get up from your house and you come home from school at the end of the day and get out a map and go, what is a three-mile walk? I'm going to walk and be like Jesus and I'm going to pray all night long? No, but you know what we can do? Pray a little more intentionally. Pray a little hard. If, you, if your prayer life is two minutes, let's aim for four. You know, I mean, we can move that direction. But here's the other thing that's interesting. Again, I don't think Luke intends us to get a lesson out of it. He says he came out and went as his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him because that's what disciples do. They follow. The disciples are followers of Jesus. Now, stay with me for a second. Let's be very honest. It's been a long day, and Jesus goes, all right, gentlemen, we're going to go over to the Mount. We're going we're to pray again. They've done it before. It's their habit. It's their custom. You realize Jesus had other people that hung out with him. They don't go. I mean, there's this group of people who are acquaintances of Jesus. And when Jesus is like, hey, who wants to go to the all-night prayer party? People are like, ah, pass. I'll catch you at lunch tomorrow, Jesus. But the disciples, the guys who were in, the guys who were following him, guarantee you, I mean, I'm pretty sure that they weren't like, yeah, all-night prayer party. You know how I know? Because they get there and they fall asleep which is what you and I would have done probably. We'd have got there and we'd have been like, man, I just ate. It's been a long day. I'm going to lay down to pray just like I did last night when I went to bed and I'm going to start talking to God and the next thing I know my alarm is going off. That's what's happened to the guys who are following Jesus. But they went. When everybody else could have done, checked out, when everybody else said no, the disciples, the people who are following Jesus, they're following him even when it's not convenient. Now those things are important to us because in a little bit we're going to talk about who are we. Are we followers of Jesus? Are we the disciples? They're there at the mountain? Are we the ones catching them for lunch? Where are we at in the process? But here's what I want you to see, what happens next. He says this. He tells the disciples, he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's kind of their prayer journey. That's what they're doing. And a little bit tonight, at the end of tonight, we're going to spend some time praying. If you want to hang around for about five or ten minutes, that may be something we do. How, now I'm not going to show your hands. That'd be embarrassing. Some of you, most of you are probably like me. I spend a lot more time confessing sin than I do praying on the front end that God doesn't lead me into temptation. I spend much time going, God, I mean, I blew it here. God, I screwed up there. Rather than, God, I have this habit of stumbling over here. When I, when I have an attitude about this, Lord, can you, can you help me to avoid that temptation? We usually pray on the back end instead of the front end. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, you need to pray on the front end that you avoid temptation. And now we're going to see what Jesus' temptation was. You know Jesus was tempted? He tells us what his temptation was. It's in his prayer. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. See, Jesus knew what's about to happen. At the end of this evening, when this happens, some soldiers are going to show up, and they're going to arrest Jesus. And he's going to go into this false trial, 
where people lie about him and they accuse him of things. And then they're going to beat him up. They're going to spit on him. They're going to strip him naked. They're going to chain him to a, a post. And they're going to take a cat of nine tails, a whip with, with, kind of, with, with bone or, or, or stone or sharp like glass. And they're going to whip him. And they're going to drag it back across his back 39 times. Beating his back to a pulp. And they're going to mock him. They're going to take a crown of thorns. They're going to put it on his head. They're going to shove it down. Then they're going to take him when that's all done, and they're going to take him out to a hill, and they're going to get this wooden cross. They're going to take a nail that looks like a, a railroad spike type thing, and they're going to set it right there up against his wrist, and they're going to hammer it in until his arm is pinned to a cross, and they're going to do the other arm. They're going to line up the feet, and they're going to do the same thing, and then they're going to lift him up naked in front of the world, pinned to that cross so that he can suffocate to death. You with Jesus when Jesus says, Lord, I don't want to do this, right? God, if there is, that's what, that's what he's saying. God, he says, Father, if you're willing, God, if you'll remove this cup, don't let this happen. God, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to get beaten up. If Jesus is like most of us, me included, like, like we're running for the hills to hide in a cave. We're packing a bag and we're moving to Egypt or some other country like, man, forget this. Uh, Yeah, peace out. I don't want any part of this. But what Jesus realized was that Jesus' desires, what what worked best for Jesus, what would have set him up, the decision that we would have made of, uh, of here comes the decision, what is best for me, ran mutually exclusive to the glory of God. Because Jesus knew that that death and crucifixion on the cross, that death and that impending resurrection that was going to come would end up being the blood that provided salvation for all of mankind. And every time somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus and all of the sin that they've ever committed in their past and all the sin that they've ever committed in their future is erased, erased, with no judgment on that person. Everything you've done in the past, everything you do in the future, God doesn't even punish you because he punished Jesus on the cross for it. Jesus stood in your place. When that happens, people who start following Jesus go, God, you are awesome. God, you are amazing. God, you saved my life. God, you gave me heaven when I didn't deserve it. And every time somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus, the Bible says angels rejoice in heaven. And the reason why is because God is getting extreme amounts of glory because of his love, because of his decision to crucify Jesus in your place. So Jesus is in this moment. Do I make a decision that benefits me? Or do I make a decision that brings glory to God? I'll tell you what, Jesus got no benefit of all out of it. I mean, I, I mean the pain and the torture. But like Jesus, or, or like, like, like Jesus did, we should be people who go, you know what? I make decisions for the glory of God. So here's what I want you to do. I'm, I'm a, I, I know nobody likes homework. Let me, let me give you some homework, though, that will, will help you years down the road, okay? So I'm going to give three, three different things, but kind of where you're at. If you're in here tonight and you go, man, I, I, I'm kind of a new believer. I, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I, I mean, if we, if we all sat down, I would tell you, man, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not very, I, I don't pray a lot, I I don't know the word very well. I come to church and stuff like that. But my, my relation with Jesus isn't super deep. If you, and you'd go, you know what? Honestly, kind of my faith, like I, I hang out with Jesus. But at the end of the day, after a long day, if Jesus said, hey, we're going to go walk three miles and we're going to pray all night long, 
I, I honestly probably would have been the person that said, I'll, I'll catch you at lunch. If that's you, that's kind of where you're at, new believer, young Christian, here's, here's your homework assignment. And I want you to do this this week, and I want, I, I want you to get a piece of paper and a pen, a journal, something, I want you to write this down. I want you to reflect back over today or earlier this week, and I want you to write down five decisions you made. I don't, I don't care. It could be where I went to lunch, what clothes I wore to school today. I, it could be big ones. It could be small ones. I just want you to write down five decisions that you've already made. When, do this tonight. Do this tomorrow. But write it down. Don't just say it. And I'll explain to you why. And then what I want you to do, underneath that decision, I want you to write two or three sentences, a paragraph, you know, something short of why I made that decision. Now, your answer to that might be like, <coughs> I decided to go to Taco Bell. Why? Because I'm poor and I like burritos and it was on the way. Okay, fair enough. Then I want you underneath that. So you've got the decision you made, why you made it. I want you to then write a couple sentences of how that decision would have been different if you made it to the glory of God. Okay? Now, track with me for a second. Don't think this is super spiritual. You, you, I'm not, we're not looking for this. Well, I went to Taco Bell, and if I would have made a decision to the glory of God, I would have went to Chick-fil-A because they have Christian chicken there. <laughs> so, so therefore, it's Chick-fil-A. That, that's not what you might have still ended up at Taco Bell. Stay with me. After you do that, five decisions you made. Here's what I want you to do next. This is still, if you're a young believer, I want you to write, five, write, write down five decisions that you are going to make this week. There's decisions you know that you're going to make. So write down five decisions you're going to make, and underneath those, write out, what would that decision look like if I made it to the glory of God? Now, here's two things. Here's what happens. You may have still ended up Taco Bell, but as you start thinking about the glory of God, and you're looking at that, and you're going, this is odd. I don't know like, how Taco Bell or McDonald's like, affects the glory of God. What you might just hear as you start thinking about it intentionally, Jesus just might lean into you, and the Holy Spirit might, might prick your heart and go, you know what? You could have invited so-and-so to go eat with you. And over lunch, you guys could have had a faith conversation. You, you, you might go, well, what am I going to wear tomorrow? Again, to the glory of God doesn't mean we have to go get a bunch of Christian t-shirts and wear Christian t-shirts every day. But you know what it may mean? It may mean that I'm going to dress modestly because I want people to see Jesus and not my body parts. Because you start thinking that way. So a couple of weeks ago, and here I'll kind of wrap this up and then move on to somebody else. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Brownwood, Texas, where Howard Payne is. I was teaching a class one night. And so my class starts at 6.30. It ends at 9.30. I get done talking to the students. So 10 o'clock, I'm leaving Brownwood. I'm driving home. It's late. It's dark. And so I decided I'm just going to start calling some of our college students because it's like 10 o'clock. So they're just like pretty much getting up for the day. And so I'm just going to call some of them, check on them, see how they're doing. And, and I make one phone call, leave a message. I call a second one. Uh, some of y'all might remember a girl, she, a girl named Ricky Blue. I just mentor her. So I called Ricky to check on her. And so we end up talking for the whole like, last hour and 45 minutes on the way home. But while I'm driving, I'm driving down in between like Lampasas and, and, and Georgetown. Somebody's these you know, small roads. It's dark. There's nobody else out. I'm talking to her. And as I'm driving, there's a car coming towards me. See, it's headlights. And as I'm talking to her, the headlights swerve into my lane. And like, I immediately like swerve to the right, kind of go on the shoulder. I don't even know what happened. I come back up and, and I'm going. And, and like, Ricky still is like, and then, and then this and this and this and that happened. And I'm like, hey, time out for a second. I almost died. 
And that would have been really crazy. You would have heard it all. Like my screams in agony would have been on the Bluetooth phone. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, some car just came in my lane. I mean, like my heart's like pounding super fast. Now, here's the deal. When I was younger, when I was 16, I was trying to learn how to drive and things like that. Man, I thought through what I was doing. Blinker, turn right, you know, easy on the gas. You, know, you think through a lot more. Now at 41, when that moment happened, I didn't think like, okay, defensive driving. I should go to the right and then come back, but not overcorrect because I might overcorrect too far and end up in a di- you know, I didn't think through all of that. It just happened, but it happened quickly, and I made it because I've been driving for so long, it's just routine. I've had some moments like that before. So this whole process of writing out some decisions that I've made and that I'm going to do, here's why. Because if you can start thinking that way intentionally, and you do that maybe more than five, maybe you do it each week. I'm going to write down five decisions I'm going to make, and I'm going to think through how does it bring the glory to God. What will happen is you start training yourself to think like that intuitively. And so a decision comes to you, like a car coming straight at you, and you don't have to overthink it. You naturally think your first response is a decision that makes the glory of God be lifted up. Does that make sense? But you've got to practice that. You're going to have to, and so I want to encourage you and give you some homework. Do that. If you want to follow, if you want to go from a young believer to a mature believer, do that. Now, if you're a mature believer, you're, you're a student that goes, you know what? I probably would have went with Jesus to the prayer party. Don't even pretend like you wouldn't have fallen asleep. But you, I, would, I probably would have fallen asleep. But I would have been there. I Man, I love Jesus. I'm trying to walk with him every day. I'm, I'm already kind of making decisions about that. Here's your assignment. With your parents or with a friend or with your small group on a Sunday morning or with an accountability partner, somebody who's close to you, what I want you to do is either pull out your phone, a calendar, something like that. And I want you to look back over your week. Not just a couple decisions. Look back over your week. And point out the things that you did and the places you went that brought glory to God. Go through, not just a couple decisions, because if you're a believer, you, you gotta be making those couple decisions. Go through this week or go back and look over the next week and write down every dollar that you spend. And at the end of the week, look at that and go, did I spend my money on things to bring glory to God? That doesn't mean you can't go buy a PlayStation game. That doesn't mean you can't do this or that. So a couple of weeks ago, we had Allison Coe come in here. Allison works in our sixth grade group here. She talked about her mission trip to Haiti. Allison's in my home group. And a couple Sunday nights ago, as we were talking about our prayer requests and stuff, she, she shared with our home group that she's turning her application. She's 20-something. And she's turning an application to move and to live in Haiti. She's going to see if the organization is going to accept her. But she's going to leave her family. She's single. Probably not going to, you know, find some good-looking American guy in Haiti. She, she's willing to go do if he means she'd be single, even though it means walking away from a lucrative career. She's an occupational therapist to go put her life in Haiti to serve people. That's a question of, God, what in my life brings you most glory? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go to Haiti. It doesn't mean you can't buy a PlayStation game. It doesn't mean you can't buy nice clothes. What it means is this. Jesus says it in, at the end of his prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. What is God's will for you? If it's to go to Haiti, you better go to Haiti. If it's to be a teacher, you better be a teacher. If it's to work at Panda Express, and work at Panda Express, whatever God's will, that's where you need to be because that's what brings glory to God. But you gotta start making decisions that way so that you look different from everybody else. If you came in tonight and you're not a believer, you're not a young believer, 
You're not, you wouldn't have been at the mountain with Jesus. Maybe you're somebody checking out Jesus. Came with a friend. I've probably talked so long at this point, you zoned out, I understand that. Probably went a little long tonight. Here's the decision that you make that brings the most glory to God. It's a challenging decision. But you make the decision to sacrifice your life for his. To accept and receive salvation, forgiveness. To be different. If you came with a friend, ask them what it means to follow Jesus. And if they look at you and go, I'm not real sure. I was probably one of the guys meeting Jesus for lunch, not at the mountain. Say, take me to somebody. Take me to your small group leader. Take me, come find me, come find somebody. And let's walk through that journey with you. Talk about what it means to follow Jesus because that brings ultimate glory to God. Now, here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with a bit bit of encouragement. Then I'm going to pray and we're going to show you a video and do some boxes. There's a guy named Henry Nowen. And Henry Nowen was a Catholic priest, wrote 40 books or some odd, was really into solitude and social justice, pretty deep, heavy guy when it comes to spiritual things. And here's a quote that he said. Hit it one more time. This was from his diary. Like, he didn't want people to read this. I believe he's passed away now, and they found his, they read his diary. So this was his personal writings. He said, I love Jesus, but want to hold on to my own friends, even when they do not lead me closer to Jesus. I love Jesus, but want to hold on to my own independence, even when it brings me no real freedom. I love Jesus, but not want to lose the respect of my professional colleagues, even though their respect does not make me grow spiritually. He says, I love Jesus, but not want to give up my writing, travel, and speaking plans. Here it is. Even when they are often more to my glory than God's. Here's why I show you that quote. Nobody's asking you to be perfect. We're not, we're not leaning in and going, you know what? Every decision from this point forward, it's about the glory of God. Sacrifice. That's where we're headed as followers of Jesus. Henry Nowen struggled with it as an adult who, who probably knew more about Jesus, forgot more about Jesus than all of us collectively knew. But that was the journey he's in. What I'm asking you is, would you enter into that journey? to start looking different from everybody else. What's the difference? What's the difference? I make decisions through the filter of what brings glory to God rather than what brings glory to me. Let's pray for a sec. Lord, we trust that your word speaks to us. God, I just pray that we would walk out doing, like looking at our calendar with a friend, charting where we spend our money, writing down five decisions we've made and five we will make, considering giving our life to you so that, God, ultimately, we would look different from everybody else because we make decisions based on you and not on us. Lord, I know you'll grow us every time we do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to talk to somebody, Come find one of us, find an adult. So we have some small group ministers that are here. So here's what we're going to do. We've got a few minutes before boxes. So we've had a couple of Stipic verses. So we sent Stipic to a haunted house. Not a real haunted house, the Georgetown Jail. Not House of Torment. We sent him to like a smaller one that's not super overproduced. So here's the deal. We want to see what you think. So you can get out your phone. 
And text to the number 650-690-16. Do you think Stibbick will make it all the way through? Do you think the haunted house will win? Do you think he'll cry? Do you think he'll leave early? You just want to see Stibbick make a fool of himself. You're rooting for him. Which one best describes you? Go ahead and send it in now. We'll give you a few seconds. Is it up live? Is it up live? So apparently nobody. Y'all are voting, right? It's just not showing up. Okay, somebody voted. Okay. So apparently you don't have the live thing up. So maybe you can figure that out. You can still, anybody, give, give you a couple more seconds to get the numbers down. Oh, there's somebody. Maybe it's just going slow. All right. Get them in. They'll come in. You ready to see it? If you can kill the lights, here is Stippick versus the haunted house.
Yeah. You were pretty close. So here's, here's the deal, and we got to do announcements, but I want you all to know what a big deal that was. He was not faking. This summer when we went down to San Antonio and we went to the uh, wax museum, and they have like the horror part of the wax museum where it's like a wax vampire, he walked through the whole experience behind me like this. He wouldn't look up, and there's a guy, not with our group, like four people behind trying to scare his friends, and he'd be like, hey, and somebody would go, and like... like so that was a big deal that you yeah. that you did make it. You can kind of tell on a couple parts of it, but, but for most of the haunted house, I'm walking through. All right, boxes. We got two minutes. Where's my boxes, winner? Come on down. We got this one on. Let's turn this up for. So I asked you earlier, you know how it works, correct? If you get something bad, you have to do it. If you get something good, you get to keep it. I don't even know what all of these are. All right. So you're going to count us down. Three, two, one, and stop. And they're going to find out what you get. Hey, at least it wasn't something embarrassing. Or bacon toothpaste. What? Bacon toothpaste? If you get bacon toothpaste, you have to use it. Okay, head on to the back. They'll give you that. Hey, if uh, you are on my ministry team that's meeting right now, head straight to the ministry team room. Love to see the rest of you guys Sunday for small groups down the hallway. Have a great last couple days of your week.